Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's only 13 verses in this chapter, and I have three pages of notes. So you you can have a nice long nap this morning. When when we get to chapter 13, it's the chapter that we hear in weddings. Uh, Sometimes you read it in greeting cards. It's about love, the characteristics of love. And uh, most of the time, when you hear it at a wedding, it's, it, it's really out of context. I mean, it's true, and it's applicable, but the context is in uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14, speaking about spiritual gifts, uh, the spirituals. It's speaking about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church for the edification and growth of the church. And if, if you've missed the um, last couple of Sundays, we talked about, when you talk about the church, you're talking about two different things. You're talking about from the time of Pentecost until the time Christ comes back. That's the, that's the church age. And one day, when, when the rapture takes place and when Christ comes back, we're all going to meet together in one assembly. We will, we will be one church at that point in time. But a lot of times when the New Testament's talking about the church, it's talking about the local assembly. It's talking about this church, the church down the street, the church across town, every Bible-believing um, doctrinal church that believes in the fundamentals of the faith is a church. It's a, it is a church of Christ. It is the body of Christ. And uh, we're a body of Christ. They're a body of Christ. And so... Um, just like you have the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit's not divided, and, and so we're, we're a body with all that we need to function. They're a body with all they need to function. If there are 20 people meeting uh, as, and incorporated as a church, they're a body with all they need to function. But the Lord has given, as we saw last week, He's given historically to the church collectively, the, the, the historical church, uh, he, he gave them uh, um, apostles, prophets, teachers, and then he gave gifts, and he gave them into, as he will. Uh, he didn't give everyone the same gift. He didn't give, um, uh, and, and so the context was, I, I don't know how much to say, the context was is that in, in, in Corinth, uh, many of the people in this church, some of them were Jewish, some of them have come from pagan backgrounds. There were a lot of uh, pagan temples in Corinth. They, they practiced paganism, and that paganism we have seen already that some of these people who trusted Christ, they brought that into the church because that's what they knew. That's what they had been, that had been their religion. That's what they were conditioned toward. Um, we don't have very much ceremony here. We uh, celebrate the two ordinances we believe are biblical, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper, or communion, if you like to call it that. Uh, we celebrate those two things. And I don't know about you, I enjoy seeing baptism. I enjoy taking the Lord's Supper. I think it's serious. I think it's uh, very fundamental. Uh, it doesn't give us grace, but it expresses the grace that's been given to us. But just imagine with me, if you came from a church that had a lot of expressive ceremony, if you had 
um, they had, um, you, you got involved yourself, sometimes with a prostitute, but you got involved, and you remember when we read in chapter 12, and when Paul was speaking about them taking the Lord's Supper, and he said to them that some of you come and you don't share what you have, but you, and you even become drunk, and you're calling it the Lord's Supper. Well, I don't know about you, but I know what drunk people do. Now, I've never expressed that, but Donna had a little trouble. <laughs> experienced that, I meant to say, I never experienced it. But, but, but we came from families that did. You know, we came from families that did have a lot of trouble, and we have seen that life. And uh, so I want you to understand that when you incorporate that and you're calling it worship and you're having some esoteric experience and, and you're, you know, because you're, uh, you're, you're out of your mind, basically, and, and now you're bringing that into the church and you're designing these gifts that are tangible, there's something tangible. And, um, and we, we, we're to walk by faith. And that's hard to do, isn't it? Hard for me. Uh, but we're to walk by faith. And we're to trust in, in Christ and hope in Christ. And we'd rather have something proved. We'd rather say, Lord, okay, I, if, if I give an extra $100 this morning, I want you to give me a stamp of approval. I want to feel something. I, I want assurance. And, that, and that's our nature. Our nature is that we want assurance. Now, imagine if you come from a background like that and you come into this Christian assembly and there are people who are gifted, Paul said in the first chapter that you come behind in no gifts, so there are people who are gifted with these various gifts of the Spirit, and, and now you don't have them, but you want them, and you all, when you were going to the, to the temple and celebrating there and, and enjoying it, and you were doing all those things they did in the temple, you felt something, and now you don't feel something unless you get drunk at the Lord's Supper maybe, or you get involved. So it's very tempting. That's human nature. So I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to be very straightforward. So the context of all three of these chapters, 12, 13, and 14, is the spiritual gifts. And we ended in chapter 12 and in verse 30, and Paul said, rhetorical questions, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnest desire the best gifts, and I show you a more excellent way. And then he begins to speak about the gift of love, okay, the gift of love. The, the Holy Spirit indwelling us gives to us the gift of God's love. It, it's, it's the gift of God's love, and when we understand it, we can better express it. And this is what this chapter is about. It is the a gift of God's love given to us. It's the same context uh, when we come to the gift of tongues. Um, and, and so he is saying to them in verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and mysteries means the deep things of of God. Uh, I don't understand all the mysteries, the deep things of God, and neither do you. Paul's already said that to us. 
And, and though I have all knowledge and though I have all, all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So what he's saying is that you can, you can have all the gifts, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which no one does have all the gifts. But he's saying, if you did, but you don't have the love of Christ expressed in you, the gift of love that, that's flowing out of you, then it's nothing. It means nothing. I, I read a, after one of the old uh, preachers named Alan Redpath, a hundred years ago or so, and said a young lady came to him and told him that uh, her boyfriend said that if, if, if she wouldn't marry him, he was going to kill himself. And she said, what should I do? And he said, nothing, because he doesn't love you. He loves himself and wants you. And so, you know, sometimes that's what we feel is that we want things and we, when we maybe get something, we feel that that's love. But love is outward. Love is the gift of love to us and it is expressed outward. When you go through these things about love, we're not going to go through them step by step because you've heard that and, and our pastor's done it and you've heard it. But, uh, but, but what they are, what I want you to remember is that they are expressions of the Holy Spirit toward the church body. The context of this chapter is love toward your brother in Christ who you assemble with. It's me toward Jack. And, and it, it's me toward you. And it's, it's me toward not only my wife, but it's me toward everybody else in the church. It's me toward those people down in the special class. It's me toward everyone in the church. This is what I'm talking about. This is love in the church. Okay? And <laughs> I prayed a lot about this lesson because I, I, it's, it's a difficult lesson. Um, so let's just, let's look. If you speak with the tongue of men of angels, uh, both are languages. If I speak with the tongues of men, the word tongues in this, in this context is language. It's a language. We're going to talk a little more about that. It's not some esoteric speech. When, when, you, when you look, you can go on your computer and you look at the pagan religions in, in, in uh, Corinth, you will find some of the things that they did. And one of the things they did, they would, they would have this ecstatic speech that when they lost control of their senses, they would have an ecstatic speech. Here, I believe, in this context, Paul is still talking about the gift of tongues that was given to the church for the propagation of the gospel. And we're going to read in chapter 14, it was given specifically as a sign to the Jewish nation that Christ, what, that Jesus was the Christ and that his death, burial, and resurrection was real. And, and it was a sign to them. Uh, I can't go into chapter 14 now. We really don't have time, but we'll get to that, uh, Lord willing, next week. And you'll see that it was very purposeful. It was very limited. Um, so when we read this, and, and he's saying, I could, under, I could prophesy, I could understand prophecy, I could understand the mysteries, I could do all these things, I could remove mountains, but I have love, love. It is nothing in the sight of God. It is nothing in the sight of God. Now remember, these people in this church were being selfish. They were being self-centered. They were having conflict among themselves. And that, we have to remember that. And this is one of the issues that they were having conflict with, is that they believe some of them were more spiritual than others. 
And so uh, we learn here that it, it, it's in the context of all the gifts are given to the church. I'm, I keep repeating that so you'll get it. It's good in a marriage, and it's good in, in a greeting card, but, it, but it's speaking to me and you about each other, about and those uh, in the church. Okay, and down in verse 4, uh, this love and assembly is expressed in these verses in like three different ways. And the first way um, is that we're, we're, love is a verb. Verse 4, love suffers long. It, it's always active. So it, 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 it's, it's very active. It suffers long and it's kind. Above all, this is the, this is the overarching thing. Love is kind to other people. I, I, I can be kind to myself, but it's kind to other people. In the church, love is kind. And then the next five things he says are negative things. And this is uh, love in the darkness of ourselves. I, I, I'm to express love, and, and it's the opposite of the darkness within myself. So I want you to understand that I'm using, I'm using a commentator's words, the darkness within myself, because when you see this, it's the opposite of kindness. So there's five things. I'm not going to dwell on them, but we're going to read them. So if you're looking at me, and in verse 4, love suffers long, and it's kind. And then here's the negative thing. Number one, love does not envy. Okay? If I'm envious of you, that is the exact opposite of love, isn't it? That, that's not loving. I'm, I, that's, that's a darkness within myself. I have the gift of love given to me by the Holy Spirit, and if I'm not exercising it toward you, I am nothing. Love does not parade itself. Love love doesn't put itself first. Love is not puffed up. That's the opposite of love. Puffed up means proud. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love, love is not rude. It's kind. It's not rude. It's their direct opposite. Love, is, love does not, the last one, uh, love does not seek its own. We've been admonished in the New Testament that we, we're to prefer others above ourselves. And, and so love doesn't seek its own. Remember that when somebody's sitting in your chair in your church. <laughs> have to be... I have to be lighthearted or I get preachy. Okay. You know, the greatest barrier for us showing Christ's love to people is our selfishness. We're selfish. I'm selfish. You may have a little tint of selfishness yourself. That is our fallen nature. Our fallen nature, it's me first, and, and sometimes we push it all the way to it's me only, and we're not concerned about about people. Ask yourself a couple of questions. When you go down the hallway into the church and find your plate, do you speak to people? Do you acknowledge them? Do you say good morning? And I'm not, don't nod or, you know, and I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying love is kind. Love is kind. Love is not about yourself. Love is kind. You get a little aggravated when the preacher goes a little bit long. Maybe when I go a bit long. And that's okay, you know, but you know, when I ask myself these questions, I fail. I fail. And I, I have to ask forgiveness. I have to say, Lord, I don't, I'm not living up to those things. Um, it's just it's, it's too bad. So that's the first thing. That's the darkness in ourselves. 
Okay, the op- that's the opposite of kindness. Uh, you read them carefully, maybe read them when I send you this outline, and you ask yourself honest questions. Uh, and you remember that Jesus said your attitude is the exact same as your actions. You may not act rudely to people, but if you feel it, you're guilty anyway. Uh, And so Jesus said that. The next section, uh, the middle of verse 5 down through verse 6, is the love versus the darkness and other people in the church. Okay, the darkness and other people in the church. So what is that? And we're going to read it here. So in the middle of verse 5, Love is not provoked. Okay, remember the context is inside the church. Love is not provoked. Love, let's just read them and then I'll go back to them. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love is not provoked. Our our church and every church is made up of diverse people. Uh, We're diverse in a lot of different ways. We're diverse in our background. We're diverse in our ethnic background. We're diverse... Uh, in our social standing, whatever, whatever that might be. We're, we're diverse in our behavior. We're diverse in our conditioning. Uh, we're diverse in our body. We're diverse in our habits. And sometimes that diversity in others provokes in us a negative reaction. Would you agree with that? Thank you. And if we love people, it wouldn't. If we love people, we would accept them for who they are, warts and all. That's what they say back where I grew up. We, we would accept them. Uh, we would accept them fully. We'd be like Charlie Brown, be in that club. There are no big people, no little people, just people. Uh, and that's very hard to do, very hard for me to do. Uh, and sometimes that provokes within us other people, maybe, maybe their appearance or maybe their sound of their voice or maybe our experience in the past with them, but it provokes, and I'm talking about in the church, it provokes within us a negative response toward them. Whether we ever say anything or not, it provokes within us, that, and that's the opposite of kindness. This is a hard lesson, isn't it? <laughs> and then the next one. We tend to pass judgment on people. Look again in beginning of verse um, th- verse 5, the last phrase. Thanks no evil. Thanks no evil. We, we pass judgment on people without a full knowledge of their, their motives or their circumstances. You know, when, when the Bible tells us that we're not to judge, I think it's in Matthew, when, when we're not to judge, it's not speaking about we judge doctrine. It's not speaking about we judge behavior, but it's really speaking about I can't judge your motive. I, I can evaluate your behavior, and I can say, I think, you know, and you can about mine, whether that's right or wrong or good or bad, we can do that. But I can't judge your motive. I, I, and, when, and when I think evil of you, I'm thinking about your motive. I'm thinking about, well, you always behave that way. You always do that. Well, nobody always does the same thing all the time. That's, that's not true. Um, but the opposite of kind, I don't know how else to say it, is that we think evil of people. And, you know, that, that's, 
when I see that in myself, that's shameful. I think evil of people for no reason. My wife and I are talking about sometimes when when we when when our population, if you were to meet somebody at the grocery store and they see you have a little gray hair, they hold the door open for you. Okay? But you let them get behind the car and they don't they don't treat you the same way. You know? I mean you get behind the wheel in a car, is what I meant. Not behind the car. Sometimes you want to get them behind the car. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying is that you know, people get anonymous, and they behave badly in cars. And uh, I, I, I have to get on Donna for doing that, too, sometimes. You, know, but you, you understand? But when we meet people face-to-face, it's just, you know, we're generally kinder. Thank no evil. Thank no evil. I've been here all these years. Many of you have been here all, a, long, a long time. And we have a history with people in the church, um, and most of it's good, <laughs> which means some of it's not. And but we're not to think evil. I, I'm not. I'm not anybody's judge. Christ is their Lord. He's their Savior. I'm not their Savior. I'm not their judge. I got enough to worry about when I stand before Him one day. And so we're to think no evil. If you love people in this church, you're going to think no evil about them. And then when the the last phrase is I think is is really bad in verse six, does not rejoice in iniquity. It means when that person you're thinking evil of has a calamity in their life, you don't rejoice. And and when you do, you're that is total opposite of love. When, when you rejoice about, let's just say, your enemy, when you rejoice about your enemy's calamity, that is the very opposite of love. You know, and these things applied in the church are also applicable in our world. Uh, we, all of us, are of a political persuasion. There's probably not very many people who are not. Uh, and we're political persuasion. We take one side or the other uh, on policy. And, but we have a tendency trade that policy for personalities. And, and that is the opposite of love. That is the opposite. Christ didn't do that. And he was honest about people's character, but, he, but, but, but we're, we're to be people who um, we do not rejoice in iniquity in other, in other people. We don't rejoice when they have calamity in their life just because we don't like them. And we think they... There are people who, you know, you, if you were to ever gossip, you probably hadn't since you've been saved, but uh, you hear something and you think, well, and you have in your thought, well, they deserve that. You know, that happened to them, they deserve that. And uh, that's terrible. That's, that's the far away that you can get from Christ's love and the gift of love as can be. <laughs> we have to repent of that too. We, we have to repent. So that's the love, the darkness and darkness of others. Oswald Chambers said this. Oswald Chambers said, God's battering always comes in commonplace ways and through commonplace people. God's battering. What do you mean by that? God's battering means that God is chiseling us into the image of Christ. As we go through this life, He is changing me and you into the image of Christ. And you know how He does it? Is that He batters us with life and makes us turn loose of self 
and turn loose of pride and turn loose of selfishness and, and honor him and trust him and say, Lord, I am your servant. You're free to do with me whatever you please. And the batterings in life bring us to that place. I don't know about you. I'm further along today than I've ever been, but I'm not there yet and will never be there until I go into the presence of Christ. But we should, we should be aware of that, is that all of life is under the, the direction of our Savior. All of our life is under direction, the good and the bad. He is training us to trust Him. And then verse 7 is love in the seemingly darkness in God. And I use that adjective, the seemingly darkness in God, because there is no darkness in God. But in verse 7, we read this. Um, Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love bears all things. The Lord, again, brings trials into our life for our development, and we bear that. We bear all things. We believe all things. We hope in all things, and we endure in all things. And so... God is not darkness, and there's a seemingly darkness sometimes in our lives when we think, God has forsaken me, I've prayed, and he hasn't answered, I've asked for direction, he's not giving it, I don't know what to do, and we begin to doubt the goodness of God, or we doubt the capacity of God, or the love of God, and, and that is demeaning to God when we do that, and, and that's the opposite of love, that's the opposite of love. You know... If someone were to say to you, prove to me, prove to me that you are a Christian. And we might say, well, you know, I don't do this or I don't do that anymore like I used to. and Maybe like the world, I don't, that, see, that's not proof. That may just be you decided not to do that. That's not proof. The only proof there is, is not how well I'm doing in life. It is not whether he's blessing me or not. That's not proof. But what the proof is, is that, I know Christ died on the cross for my sin, and I trusted in him. That's what the Bible says to do, and that's my proof. That's my only proof. It's not how I'm doing in life. And so when God's battering us, it is not whether we, uh, we don't look for proof in how we're doing in life, how happy we are, how successful we are, how healthy we are. That's, that's no issue. Uh, that's God's business in your life. The difference is, is that the difference is, is that do you know Christ as Savior? Then He has redeemed you for eternity, adopted you into His family. You're His child, and and you've got a glorious future ahead of you. Today may stink, but you've got a glorious future ahead of you. See, that's the only proof we have. That is our hope. And then we read in verse eight about the enduring power of the gift of love. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Okay, I'm going to talk to you um, about tongues. He mentions tongues again here. Tongues is the context of this. I hope you got that. Started in the first few verses. He's mentioned it again. All of chapter 14 is going to be about tongues, about languages. 
And so here, when he says in verse 8, love never fails, but prophecies will fail. Uh, where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. When you get uh, prophecy is the foretelling, not just preaching, but it's the foretelling of the future. Uh, it, that's going to cease as well. Tongues are going to cease. And then one day, knowledge, what we learn about God, uh, what, what we're learning about the mysteries of God, when is that going to cease? That's going to cease when we stand in the presence of God. When we see Him face to face, Paul's going to say when we're known, when we know as we're known. Now, we won't know everything about God, but we'll, we'll know His plan in history. We'll understand that at least. And God's infinite, so we'll never know everything about Him, but we'll understand the plan of God. Okay, so when he's speaking here about tongues are going to cease, I told you at the beginning of this that I speak from a cessation position. There are three positions. There, there are people who I read after who believe that this gift of tongues is still viable for today. There are people who say in the middle, I don't know, uh, maybe in, on, mission, on mission fields. Uh, and then there are people who say, like me, it ceased. Okay, I'm going to give you the historical references. Three times in the, in the historical reference in Scripture in the New Testament is the use of tongues. The first time is in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, you remember the, the circumstances is that you, you, you can read, I think there are 17 nationalities of Jewish people, but they're, they're, they've been dispersed over the world, and they come together at Jerusalem to worship because they're God-fearers. And so even though they may have been raised in Italy or they've been raised over in, in uh, uh, Babylon or wherever, They've come to, or Egypt, they've come to Jerusalem to worship. And on the day of Pentecost, here are these Gentile, I mean, here are these uh, Galilean fishermen who stand and speak to them the glory and the majesty of God and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They speak the gospel in a language that they have never learned. It wasn't Galilean, uh, not Hebrew, they speak Hebrew, Arabic. Not Arabic, but, uh, well, whatever's close to that. But never mind. But but when they spoke, the Italians heard them in their language, the Corinthians heard them in their language, the the people from Greece heard them in their language. They, those 17 nationalities, I think 17 that were gathered there, you find it in Acts chapter 2, they heard the gospel in their own language. Okay, so that's the gift of tongues. That's the first time it was used, 30 A.D. You go seven years later into Acts chapter um, 10, and Peter goes to Caesarea. Seven years later, Peter goes to Caesarea, and you remember he's at Joppa, and the Lord gives him this vision about unclean animals, arise and eat. Peter said, no, I'm going to do it, never done that. And the Lord said, I'm going to slap you, Peter, if you don't obey me. And, and so, you know, don't question me. And so Peter goes down then to Caesarea, and he meets with these Gentiles. Well, Peter had the foresight. He took six Jewish believers with him, okay? So six Jewish believers go with him, and as he's speaking to them, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they speak in tongues. Okay, 
Now, what tongues were those? Maybe the other Gentiles that were gathered there. We know, we know the, the leader was a Roman. Uh, we don't know who else was there. And they speak in tongues. And these six Jewish believers hear it. You go to the next chapter, and it begins with this. Peter goes to Jerusalem, to the, to the main church, and they, this is the Bible word, they contend with him because he went to the Gentiles. They're Jewish believers, but they're, st- they're believing the gospel only comes to the Jews. They're sectarian. They're, they're like these people in Corinth. They're just saying, no, you know, we're Jews. Christ was a Jew. We're, I mean, the gospel for us. Those Gentiles, they're fodder for the canon. You know, I mean, they're fodder for hell. We don't, you know, I mean, they're, they're dogs. We don't really, and so how dare you go there? How dare you go there in the name of, of Christ? And, and then Peter explains to them, and he has six witnesses. He explains to them that while I was speaking, not even when he got through, but while I was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them like it did us at the beginning. Now, when it was the beginning? Pentecost, seven years before that. Okay? So, and they just said, well then, it must be a work of God. We accept that. So what, what, what did that do? It was a testimony to the uh, authenticity of the gospel and the work of God. And, and so seven years went by. Okay, and the only, then the only next reference, the only other reference, is 17 years after that. 17 years after that, Paul, on his missionary journey, goes to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, he finds... Uh, some some disciples of John the Baptist. They've been baptized in Jerusalem. I mean, in Israel by John the Baptist, probably when they had gone to a, a, a Pentecost meeting or they'd gone to a uh, Passover, and they heard John speak and got baptized. Now they go back to their home, and they hadn't heard about Jesus uh, being death, burial, and resurrection because again they didn't have internet, so they hadn't heard. And so Paul says, to what were you baptized? And they said, the baptism of John. And so he, he took them, baptized them, laid hands on them, and they spoke with tongues. Okay, you know what's happening? God gave us today, God gave us the historical fact that he, he wanted the gospel to go to the Jews and the Gentiles and everybody in between. And, and that three times happened historically, and that's all. No other book in the New Testament mentions tongues except when Paul comes to write to the Corinth and they're abusing that gift, and he is negative toward it. And if you're honest and you read this, you have to understand that. He is negative toward that gift. Now, I don't mean to be harsh, and I don't want to be harsh. I want to just teach. Uh, but that, if you're, you just have to look at that and say, this, Paul is negative toward it. He'll, he'll be a little more negative next week uh, when we get into chapter 14. But he's basically saying, don't you understand that you're, you're using that to glorify yourself, and love is what you should be pursuing. You should be pursuing love of each other instead of, instead of trying to exalt yourself and, and, and these things that are happening. Okay. So, in, in those times, we're going to read in chapter 14. Oh, shoot. Let's just go there and read it. In, in chapter 14, 
Uh, this won't be on the board, so maybe you have a Bible or just listen as, as I read it. When we get to verse 22, Paul says this. <clears throat> Therefore, so this is a summation. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Okay, and today it's being practiced by those who believe among those who believe. Okay, but he's saying it's a sign not for those who believe, but to unbelievers. The prophecy is for those for unbelievers, uh, but for those not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Okay, they're a sign. Okay, Isaiah said, go all the way back seven hundred years before Christ. Isaiah said, God's going to speak to you, speaking to the nation of Israel, with people of other tongues. Now, I think you remember when we studied prophecy and we studied Revelation, there's a, there's a present application and a further application. And at that time, God was warning them about the invasion of Babylon. Babylon's going to come, and they speak a different language. And so God's going to speak to the nation of Israel with these people of other tongues. And Israel ignored the warning of God and went into captivity. We know all about that. So then, you know, they come back into the land. They're dwelling there. Now it's the time for Christ to come. Christ comes, but he's not what they expect. And on the day of Pentecost, what did they hear? They heard people speaking to them in other tongues. So the unbelieving Jewish people who were in the temple area, who heard these Galilean fishermen speak in these languages that they had never learned, and 3,000 people who had learned those languages heard in their own language, the gospel, and were saved. But all the other thousands of unbelieving Jews were there, and, and they were given a sign, but they didn't believe it. They didn't accept it. Okay, so what's the purpose of tongues? To authenticate the gospel, and to propagate the gospel, and to be a sign to the, Jew, the unbelieving Jews, Jewish nation, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one you've been looking for. So there are only three historical times, 34 years between the first one and the second one. None of the church fathers who, who wrote and wrote books, none of the church fathers ever mentioned tongues. It, 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 it ceased. It was over. The purpose was done. So what happens in Corinth? What happens in Corinth is that there is... <clears throat> I'm not going to say there wasn't a legitimate gift of people speaking in a language they had not learned. I'm not going to say that. But for the most part, the indication that I get from reading Scripture is that it was this gibberish stuff they brought over from the pagan religion and in their celebrations that they got carried away and this was what is taking place. So we read... Uh, we read down through verse 10. Verse 10, but when that which is perfect, we, verse 9, we know in part, we prophesy in part, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And then Paul says, when I spoke as a, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. <clears throat> uh, I read after a commentary to Jamie Fawcett Brown. And uh, it, they're very... Theological, very conservative. 
And he said, they see an allusion in this verse to tongues, prophecy, and knowledge. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, tongues, languages. What I, I understood as a child, that's prophecy. I understood what I heard, as, but not clearly. As, I'm like a child. And then I, um, I, I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Thought is knowledge. You know, I thought. Okay, so I have this, I have this hearing, understanding. I have these thinking. But it's childish. It's not, it's not adult. It's not mature. Okay, but then he says, when I became a man, I put away those childish things, when I became mature. And I think what Paul is saying here, I don't know for sure, I'm telling you, I, I think. Um, I want to remind you, in chapter 8, Paul said this, and I'm applying it to myself. If anyone supposes he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. Okay, so I'm applying that to myself. I don't know 100%. I'm telling you what I believe the Bible teaches. You're free to study it yourself and to make your own application and interpretation. And so, and I, I would not, uh, you know, I, I hope you understand that. So that's why I told you, I don't want to be critical. I don't want to be harsh. I don't, I don't want to be, uh, I want to, I'm doing my very best to tell you what I believe the Bible teaches and what, what I think when I study, that this is what it teaches, and what when I study after other people. So with that in mind, I, I don't think I know it all, but I think when Paul is saying this, what he's saying to them, when I became a man, I put away childish things. I think he's saying to them, you're being childish, and, and you're desiring these outward sign gifts, you're just being childish. The, the, the greatest gift of all is, is, the, is the kindness of love shown through you to other people in the church. That's the greatest gift of all. Why don't you desire that and, and, and leave these other things be? And then he spends all of chapter 14 telling them what's wrong with it. And then he said in verse 5, For now we see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also just that I also am known. So he's saying one day we're going to have a better understanding. One day we're going to, we're going to understand exactly what that meant in Scripture. That's why the Bible tells us we're to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed. That's the Awana motto. We're to study to show ourselves approved. We're to study and say to the Lord, say to the Lord when you study, Lord, help me understand. Help me humble myself and Help me, not, help me not put my interpretation on the Scripture, but let the Scripture give me my interpretation. Okay? Let the Scripture speak to me and not be try to find proof texts, but let it speak to me. Let it guide me. Let it, let it uh, instruct me. And then he ends with this in verse 13. And now by the faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, now, he hadn't talked about faith and hope. He, he talked about prophecy and knowledge uh, and tongues. But now he says, we know in part, we, we don't fully know, we don't fully understand. But what we do know, that faith, hope, and love abide, and the greatest of these is love. The love of Christ given to us, the gift of the love of Christ given to us, uh, the love of God, if you want to say it that way, given to us, 
gives us faith. The faith that I have in Christ is a gift that he gave to me. I didn't come to that of my own. You didn't come to that of your own. It is a gift that he gave to us. So that faith is a gift, and that love is a gift. And, uh, I mean, the hope we have. Because I have that faith, I have a hope. And, and the hope is, it doesn't mean that I think maybe there is a heaven and a reality of Christ. I, I think maybe that might be true. That's not the hope. It's, that's not the, the definition of hope. Hope is, I'm looking forward to it. I'm anticipating it. I, I'm going to wake up one morning in heaven. And I, I'm, I'm going to wake up one morning and all this sin nature is going to be gone. And I'll love you fully when you show up. Uh, I won't care about the warts you have at that point in time. I won't be envious of you. I won't be uh, think evil of you. I won't rejoice when you stumped your toe. You know, I won't, I, I, I'll have none of that. You know, why would, I, I didn't say this, but I have my notes. You know, sometimes if we see that, some reason we think we're better. Anyway, pray with me. We're going to go to church, okay? And next week, chapter 14, just as hard, chapter 14, about tongues itself, a whole chapter on tongues. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given to us the gift of love. Uh, How blessed we are. Uh, Father, I pray you'd help us that we would love one another with with an intensity that only you can give, that we would be grateful, that we'd pray for one another, we'd lift one another up before you. Lord, that we would... uh, cry when others are heard and we'd rejoice when they rejoice and there'd never be a spark of envy in us at all lord please god help us and uh and we'll be blessed and you'll be honored in christ's name we pray amen well lord bless you we'll see you in church